Hi, Radiant Soul fam. I am thrilled to sit with you today in this new Ceremony Circle podcast episode. I am your host, Shaman, and the author of the best-selling book and deck, Animal Power, Allison Charles' story. And today, I am truly honored to share with you two incredibly intelligent, courageous women who have forged such paths for themselves, both personally and professionally. They are Emmy award-winning television host and executive producer, Ricky Lake, and multiple award-winning director, Abby Epstein. And if you're anything like me, you grew up watching Ricky Shine, hosting the Ricky Lake Show. After starring in the film Hairspray, she went on to solidify herself as a pop culture icon. And then she got the hosting gig at just 24 years old, becoming one of the youngest daily talk show hosts in history. She has since published two books and been the executive producer of many different documentaries, one of which we are focusing on in today's conversation, The Business of Birth Control. And her business partner, Abby Epstein, has been a Broadway director helming national tours of both Rent and The Vagina Monologues. Abby has been a director of various award-winning films before partnering with Ricky to create their award-winning, critically acclaimed documentaries, The Business of Being Born, which debuted at the Tribeca Film Festival in 2007 and now has over 5 million plus views. They later released More Business of Being Born, a four-part DVD series featuring celebrities like Cindy Crawford, Alanis Morissette, Giselle Bundchen, and Christy Turlington, who shared their birth stories, as well as an in-depth discussion on the birth process. So, I think you get by now the caliber of queens we are so fortunate to be joined by today. And when I heard of their current documentary, The Business of Birth Control, it immediately struck a chord in me on a very ancient level. They had a premiere here in Austin, Texas that my husband and many of my close friends hosted and attended, but I wasn't able to make it. And the documentary kept knocking on my soul's door. It just kept on calling to me. So I watched it on my own and I was blown away by the information. Countless times I thought, every woman has the right to know this. Every person has the right to know this. Why wasn't I taught this 20 years ago? Or had I known that, I would not have said yes to getting on hormonal birth control at age 17, etc., etc. So it's my invitation for you today to join us in this very potent healing circle with an open mind and an open heart and to allow whatever resonates to guide you into even more sovereignty within your own being. Some of what we cover today are your listener questions. I love when we do this feature. You guys always send in the best questions. One of them that we talk about today are, what are tips for prepping our bodies to go off birth control? I've been on it for 10 years. We dive into where and why hormonal birth control began and why we as women were not properly informed of what it can potentially do to us. The potential risks that include an 80% increased risk of depression, also the potential for death and much more. This episode is not about imposing fear, but rather about finally disseminating vital information and education that should have been provided to us decades ago. This episode is about empowerment. And we also talk about the ride that Ricky and Abby have taken together in them taking on such big and at times wildly controversial subject matters. And fam, sacred reciprocity is so important. 
If you receive anything beneficial from today's episode, I invite you wholeheartedly to share back an offering, whether that offering is shared back with today's guests by watching one of their many documentaries and supporting them, or perhaps enrolling in their masterclass, or by sharing in a review on Apple or Spotify podcasts, how today's show or Ceremony Circle podcast in general have empowered you. All right, let's get to it. The rest of the magic lies inside. So without further ado, welcome to a Mind, Body, Spirit, Soul Illumination Special with the director and executive producer of the Business of Birth Control, Abby Epstein and Ricky Lake. Okay, here we are with Ricky Lake and Abby Epstein. I have been waiting for this day. Thank you both for joining me on Ceremony Circle. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having us. I've heard so much about you. I feel like we're already friends. (laughs) We are. I'm sure we have been communicating in the ethers and telepathically, and I know we have so many friends in common. And I wanted to actually begin kind of on this friend topic. I wanted to start with the journey of you two, because when I was really tuning in, to this interview, the first thing that was entering into my field of awareness was how powerful of a union for you two to hear and heed the call to do such brave work. So I personally want to know, when did you two link up and how did you get aligned in these strong missions? Well, I do think it was a calling. Like, I believe this was not by accident. You know, Abby and I met, I I think it's debatable whether it was 99 or 2000. Oh, a long time ago. A long time ago. I was in my early 30s. We both were in our, she's a year younger than me, but like we were young and she was directing the vagina monologues off Broadway. So if you remember, Abby's a theater director and I was in the cast. And so we became friends. I think it's because I was a novelty and I was a celebrity that took the city bus. Is that right, Abby? No. That's why you took a liking me initially. You're like, this girl is so weird. (laughs) No, we did take the city bus together. And I was literally like so thrown because we both realized we lived in Chelsea after rehearsal. And I was like, yeah, let's walk to the train. And Ricky was like, oh no, I take the ninth Avenue bus. I was like, what are you talking about? I've never been on a bus. Like a bus is for old people. But um, it's so interesting because I think when I worked on the vagina monologues, I probably worked with like 200 actresses, you know, over the years. And like, it's interesting who you bond with or who you become friends with. But it was so clear, like with Ricky, I mean, if you've met her for 10 minutes, you can see, I mean, her energy is like, it's like anti-celebrity energy. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to explain it. It's just the most real, the most grounded, like, I don't know. We just had kind of a great connection from those early rehearsals. And it was during that time that I was already a mom to Milo, my older son, and I was planning to have my second child and I wanted a home birth. Like I was very much into the birth world after having my first son. I just, I met Ina McGaskin at a conference and all these, my head just exploded. And I was like, wait a minute. I look back on my birth, as you see in the business of being born, I looked at the interventions that were given to me were, in my opinion, unnecessary. And so I thought to myself, if I get to have this experience, I want to do it differently. And then the movie happened, the documentary started after. And so Abby and I kept in touch. I got divorced. And the time that we worked together on the vagina monologues, I got divorced. I moved to LA and I had this idea or calling to do a project about 
the birth system, primarily in our country, but it really did resonate globally in first world countries. And that became the business of being born. It was three and a half years. I mean, we just jumped in. She was, Abby was not interested in mid, didn't really know anything about midwives or home birth. She thought I was crazy, but we went on this journey together. And you see the film, Abby becomes a huge, huge part of it in the end. And her story, the birth of Mateo, who's now 16 years old, balances the film in a way that it doesn't come off like propaganda. It really is this about choice and about access to information and body autonomy and sovereignty and like all the things. And our partnership, which has been going now for more than 20, about 20 years, right? It's the most fulfilling work I've done in my career. I love my career. I have so many different things I've done and achieved and proven myself. And like the work that I come back to with Abby is just, it's my soul speaking. Mm-hmm. You know, it's me being of service because these movies don't make one cent. They do not, I, we never recouped on the first movie. We will not. I mean, it's just that for whatever reason, these just are, and they're not profitable, but they're bigger than that, you know? Yeah, thank you for your honesty and transparency and that little golden nugget that you just hit on about being truly of service and the richness and substance and of serviceness of this work was really what was coming through for me because I know you both are so established and you have done so many things in your careers that also had substance, but these projects, the business of being born and the business of birth control, at least from my perspective, they live in this whole other category, this whole other orb of work. And I was curious along this pathway, did either of you ever hit up against a place where one of you thought you maybe needed to stop or it was requiring levels of bravery and courage that you weren't anticipating or because you two have known each other for so long and it's a true calling, you just were holding the line and doing what you knew you needed to do. Were you aware of the level of bravery that these projects were taking or did it not feel brave? Do you want to take that, Abby? Because we had no idea what we were doing in the beginning. We were, okay, so you have to understand, we premiered the film in New York 2007 and we thought to bring it to Grand Rounds. Do you want to jump in? I feel like I'm talking too much. I just drank my coffee and so I'm on I'm on. I it. love it. I love it. We brought it to the hospital where I gave birth to my first son and she had Mateo. St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital in Midtown, New York, you know, and we thought we were going to be celebrated. We thought, oh, we're shedding light on. And it was the opposite. They felt attacked. We had the doctor from our film with us on this panel and we were berated and called propagandist Nazi filmmakers. Wow. I mean, it was a moment of like, I'd never expected because I was America's sweetheart. I'm like, everybody loves me. And yeah, it couldn't have been further from the truth. Was you know, that was really scary for you though? When you went, terrifying. was it I an was ego a- death kind of process for you or? It was definitely me, a deer in the headlights, like me looking at my friend. We looked like so small up there, the two of us, right? Abby, say something, because it was like horrifying, but we also knew we were onto something. Mm. Like we knew when we stepped back and like not personalize it and just, whoa, you know, and then AMA came after us, ACOG came after us. We knew we'd struck a nerve. And it's only now, like 14 years later, that we see First of all, the movie is as relevant today as it was when it came out. We just played it for the premiere of our second, our new film in New York for an audience. And it really, it's like the same stuff. Unfortunately, not much Mm -hmm. has changed. But yes, I was terrified. And this one, 
less so because we know what we're getting into, but still, this feels like a bigger, like, tiger that we're poking almost. But again, it's like, we are telling the truth. We are like ref- the mirror reflecting what is happening. Abby is such a badass, amazing, visionary filmmaker, you know? And these messages are important. Whether you like seeing it or not, it is the truth. Women should know and have access to information about what they're putting in their bodies and how it's changing who they are on a foundational level. Like every cell is changed, affected. Yes. And so- we're going to continue to do what we do because we feel like it's that important, you know? Abby, anything you want to add to that? Because this part is what really feels super fascinating to me is you guys holding the line and starting not knowing and then getting hit with it, but continuing on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think Ricky just like captured it so perfectly. That's exactly what it was like. I remember we did the kind of like a test screening in New York for a small audience, like a small invited audience that was mostly friends and family. And I remember afterward, I remember Eve Ensler, the author of the Vagina Monologues, she kind of like backed me up against the wall and she was like, let me tell you right now, these doctors are going to come after you. They are motherfuckers, Abby. You have no idea. They are going to come after you for this movie. And I was kind of like, Ricky, I was like, what do you mean? Why? Like we didn't really believe, I guess. I don't know. We just were like beautifully naive and we were like embracing what we were doing and we didn't see it coming. Thank God, you know, because I would say some of it did get a bit vicious. And of course it's personal, right? Cause Ricky's in the movie making this choice <laughs> to have her baby at home and like being openly confronted and attacked for it. You're risking the life of your baby or whatever they were trying to throw on to her at the time. But I think as you could see, like as the years passed, we were on the right side of history. We were ahead of the curve. You know, the culture sort of moved toward us. Everything then became about doulas and advocacy and choice. And suddenly Ricky was, you know, mother of the year at Mount Sinai Hospital sit at our star table at our fundraiser and be feted because, you know, now we're so proud that our hospital is like offering these choices. So we've seen this huge shift, but I think with this movie, with the business of birth control, the pushback that's been trickier is the pushback that comes from more of the wokeness, I would say, right? Or I would say more of the like second wave feminism it's a little bit, it's two pronged in a way, right? Where I feel like sometimes let's say with the business of being born, we'd go on the Today Show or we'd go on something and we'd immediately get like a hard confrontation, right? About- For Ann Curry, for Ann Curry. Like it didn't make sense, but she was getting, I guess, feedback from her network to come up, but we didn't expect that at that time. Right. A hundred percent. And I think this time it's more like, we feel that, let's say if we go on a news program, whatever, it more kind of feels like a sympathetic ear where a lot of times the media or the journalists are like, yes, I had a horrible experience on this birth control and I've been waiting for someone to talk about this. Like it's felt a little bit less confrontational actually coming from the media themselves, I think, you know, and especially younger audiences. There is a absolute urgent need and just so much 
thankfulness and appreciation to talk about this. And every time we do one of our launch weekends where we put the movie online for free for a couple of days, we get always 15 to 20,000 people just by word of mouth signing up to watch this movie and talk about this movie. And people are posting clips all over TikTok. And, and this is without a major distributor. We do not have a distributor in the United States. We are only right now getting distribution in Europe and around the world because the situation is so political here. But I feel like what's trickier here has been sort of like looking at like other what we would call allies, right? Feminists. And they're now, especially because of Roe v. Wade, kind of worried about, mm. right, co-opting this movie. And aren't you just feeding into this conservative narrative about birth control? It's complex now, yes. right? It's complex. Very nuanced. Okay. Well, let's start to dissect more into some of these threads of the business of birth control. And I'm 43 and I am one of those people that fall into the categories of being blown away with both of the documentaries, the business of being born, because I, Luke and I are on the path of conscious conception and we hope that for us, but we have not had that experience yet. So being pregnant and giving birth is a whole new world. And also with the business of birth control, I'm one of those people when I was, I think about 17 and went to the doctor, it was just this nonchalant, like, oh, you're an athlete. So the reason I was given was you're this elite athlete. You know, I was about to go off to college on a distance running scholarship. And my doctor was like, this will make your life a lot easier. You'll know exactly when you're going to get your cycle and the cramps will be lessened as an athlete. This is the way to go. And I, of course, was not told it'll be switching off your ovaries and it, your body will be replaced with these two chemicals or you won't actually be getting a period. It'll be what is termed in the documentary, this withdrawal bleed. And to this day, until 43, I didn't know either of those two of the trillion facts. And I was on a walk yesterday with my husband, Luke, and I was saying to him, even though I was only 17 and I hadn't had my spiritual awakening and all of those things yet, I still believe had the doctor told me either of those two facts, you will actually be switching your ovaries off and just replacing it with two chemicals. I genuinely feel I would not have said yes mm -hmm. to getting on the pill, but nothing was told to me. And so I would love to hear and start to get into more of the education and to illuminate a lot of other people like myself, because I'm sure that most people don't know this stuff. How did young women get on birth control? Like, how did it get so normalized? Where was that initial current of like, this is no big deal. And it became commonplace that no women, no woman was told like what was really going on when you get on the pill. How did, like, I'm just, I'm so, I know I'm rambling, but my brain still is really kerfuffled as to how this happened. <laughs> I mean, one thing that's so interesting is that something that you would think is a non-controversial sort of science-based fact, right? Like the fact that you're not having a complete cycle on the pill. You are not having the hormonal dance of the peak in estrogen and the peak of progesterone, and you're not ovulating and releasing an egg and having a full blue, like that you are just on this kind of like steady stream of hormone. And when you stop the hormone, you get a withdrawal bleed 
that which you would think, right, is a non-controversial thing is actually now being sort of rebutted by like, like we have these sort of OBGYNs on social media who are like calling that a bluff and saying, oh no, it is a period. It's a period. There's no difference if it's your own hormone or a synthetic hormone, it is still, you're still getting a period. So when you're dealing with that level of reality, Alison, when like somebody's calling green, black and blue, yellow, like how do you expect women to really know anything if this is their main source of information, right? right? Their main source of information, their entry point is a gynecologist or an OBGYN who is trained in a certain way and is essentially receiving a lot of their information from the drug companies themselves. Right. Yaz is the new pill. Yasmin's the new pill. Get your clients on this pill. It's just like dope sick. It's just like dope sick. It's the same thing as the opioid situation with big pharma just pushing out these drugs and saying that they're safe or saying that they're not addictive or it's the same thing. And yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But yes. Was- no, yes, you're right. Ricky's right. Like it's, it's, so it's, I guess I would say is that there's two things I think that kind of happened, which we kind of trace in the film, right? So one is this sort of feminist movement turning away from the body, okay? So what you had, especially when abortion was illegal, right? And we, and there was a lot of women looking at their cervix, right? And like figuring out what could be done (laughs) because we didn't have autonomy over our bodies, things like that, birth control only being available to married women in the beginning. So in the beginning, I think feminism was more tied into the body and then turned away from the body, right? As the pill and, you know, as I would say, women gain more power in society economically or what have you, right? We started to turn away from the body. And I think that at the same time, it's kind of like you have just a little bit like we show with birth, right? In the business of being born. In the same way, I think, look, how did childbirth suddenly become something where in the 70s, you know, you were maybe having like a 10 to 15% cesarean rate, which is like what's recommended as safe, to suddenly hospitals having 50% and over, right? I mean, now it's, over a third of every childbirth in the United States is surgical. So, you know, you had that movement. I think there's just this movement toward shortcut, toward technology, away from the body, toward the quick fix. And then at the same time, I think we have this like clusterfuck with what's going on with reproductive health because there's no research being done. And because nobody understands anything about the menstrual cycle, (laughs) there's this whole wave right now of everybody getting fibroids and PCOS and endometriosis. I mean, endometriosis is as common in this country as diabetes. And the only thing that doctors have, the only tool in their tool belt is the birth control pill. Okay. So what's coming up for me is another thing that I was left feeling a bit confused about because from my perspective, the one of, if not the most harmful things that can happen to a woman because we're so powerful and because we're able to get 
directly connected to miracle energy through conceiving and growing a human in our own bodies and giving birth. So to me, the most potent way to harm a woman is to get her disconnected and out of her natural sink with her own body, getting her disconnected from her own body's wisdom, getting her disconnected from her own trust and her own self and mind, body, spirit. So was birth control pushed and founded from a place where they wanted to take women out of their power or was it not so nefarious or is that up for question? (laughs) It's a really good question, right? I mean, I think that from a cynical point of view, I think a lot of things are done at the convenience of men is what I think. Do I really think that this is a society that cared about poor women being able to control their fertility and living in poverty? Obviously not, because we've just taken that right away. I feel like if the birth control pill didn't solve an issue for men, I mean, I don't see how it would have gotten pushed through. And we show in the movie, right, the original hearings. Women brought up all these health concerns and said, but there's blood clots and migraines and is this really safe? And you hear these men on the panel just like bulldozing it through because they're worried about population control or it's sort of coming from other areas. But I do agree that it's almost like there's kind of a flip that's done on women, right? Where as feminism is also turned away from the body, it's also turned away from the divine feminine and turned away from the divine like mother, right? And it it takes something to wake up, to be reconnected with that. Like for me, and I'm not exaggerating, when I saw Ricky's tape, little videotape of her giving birth in her bathtub, it was almost like a reconnection for me of seeing like a goddess in action, right? Like this is like a woman I know who is not like, you know. The furthest thing you'd think of home birth mama. I don't fit the prototype at all. Yeah, and that's, but it's true. I mean, it's like, I think that seeing that there was like a reconnection in almost a subconscious way to like, oh, this is why men are terrified of us or this is the power. This, oh my God, I am watching her pull a baby out of her body in her bathtub. Oh my God, this is my friend. I mean, it's so powerful and magical. And I think that on some level, whether or not, I think that when women are cycling naturally, there are powers that you feel. I still feel them now. Ricky still feels them now. We talk about it all the time, but we feel, you can feel when you're in your ovulatory cycle and you're like releasing an egg or not releasing the egg or your hormones. You're just like the queen of the party. I mean, you What these drugs do is they make women function like men in a masculine nine to five kind of world where you're the same every day. 
Hey, beautiful beings. Today's episode is brought to you by an all-time favorite wellness brand of mine, Lotus Way Flower Essences. I've worked with various products by Lotus Way, whether they're delicious elixirs that you put under your tongue, they're aura mist, bath salts, teas, chocolates, you name it, I have tried them and I truly, truly love them all. I swear by their purity and the amazing healing essences that they hold. And no matter what you're looking to transcend in life or bring into your life, Lotus Way has a flower essence for that. But one all-around winner is their Sacred Heart Essence. You can get it in their anointing oil form, their aura mist form, or their elixir. I have them all. And it's a blend that's infused with nine different flower remedies to soothe your heart so you can surrender into self-love and acceptance during times of transition. How amazing is that? And like I said, there are nine different flowers in this essence. One of them is White Iris for purity, aligning with your highest potential and receiving unexpected blessings and support. And another one of the nine is Vanilla Bog Orchid to relieve tension so you can move with more gentleness and ease. So just head to lotusway.com. That's L-O-T-U-S-W-E-I.com. And this is so important. Don't forget to put the code word mystic in the coupon section at checkout. That's code word mystic, M-Y-S-T-I-C, because that will gift you 15% off anything you purchase. All right, fam, back to this amazing episode. It's so interesting. And thank you for, this is such a juicy, beautiful, rich conversation. When I was on the pill from 17 through, I don't know the exact age, I started to have some illumination awarenesses come in. It was 30 something. And I was like, wait, it's called birth control. Wait, who's trying to control me? What is the control about? That was really where I started to have my awakening around it. And I was like, I must get out of this. I will not be controlled. Um, But it's been so fascinating for me to witness because it whether it's coincidence or not, the years I was on birth control, I was completely entrenched in my masculine energies. I was an athlete. I was a radio show host. I lived in New York City, pounding the concrete in the concrete jungle for years, working in television. And like, I mean, just exhaustively in my masculine. And then when I had my light bulb moment and went off the pill, that's really where I started to be guided by spirit to do womb healings and clearings. And recently I had a yoni massage and I've been working so diligently. Well, that's maybe a weird way of putting it, but allowing myself to reconnect to my divine feminine in the last number of years. And I'm finding it's like the most powerful work I've ever done. But there was all those awarenesses. And then Ricky, one one area where I have heard you get really passionate about in other interviews, where I'm also passionate about is the whole pheromone thing. Because Mm -hmm. one huge, I had my spiritual awakening through a previous abusive relationship with my ex-fiance. And I was on the pill. We were both college athletes and everything. And I'll never know, maybe until I go back into the ethers and ask great spirit was like, how much was that related to he and I getting together? But I'm guessing I probably would not have been as attracted to him. And I wouldn't change a thing because he was the instrument for my awakening. But I ended up being in a 16-year very toxic, dysfunctional relationship with someone while I was on the pill. And can you share a little bit more about that? Because again, it's another area I don't think too many people know that much about. 
Yeah. Abby, you explain the science that because because people, again, are debunking what we're saying. They're, it's like, I want to be very clear that I am not an expert. I do not claim to be a doctor. And there, you know, I read some comments. There's mostly like mind blowing. Everyone is so appreciative of this work, but some snarky people are like, Ricky Lake should stay in her lane. And, you know, but I feel like I'm curious and I want to like be able to have these very nuanced conversations about something that women should question and find what works for them. And we are pro access to all options. We want the pill to be on the market. We want more options. Yeah. And um, with the pheromone piece, I mean, that just, I, it made total sense once it was explained to me by Dr. Keith Bell, who actually is not in the final cut of the movie, but he's this acupuncturist that works specifically he's in the masterclass. He is in the masterclass. Yes. But he's the one who like sort of woke me up to this idea that women, you are choosing a partner, you choose a different partner when you are flatlined in this way. I'm simplifying, you know, Abby's much better at. Well, I think, yeah, I, I no, And I think it's, I'm really glad you brought it up, Alison, because I just had kind of a, a debate about this with the journalist. So essentially like there have been studies done that have shown that when you are not cycling naturally, when a woman is not cycling, right? When a woman is on hormonal birth control, essentially your sense of smell, this idea that you can like sniff out the pheromones of a potential mate is not accessible to you. It's like a superpower that is offline. Mm -hmm. Not only is it offline, but you actually may be attracted to a more feminine type of partner. Assuming you're, you're a heterosexual, let's say cisgender woman, you might be attracted to the quote, more like brother than other, who is more kind of familial, brotherly, and not this kind of polarized attraction. And Keith Bell that Ricky mentioned, he actually spoke to us about how this happens with lesbian couples in his acupuncture practice, because a lot of them will have to go on birth control to do IVF, right? So when the one partner in the lesbian couple goes on birth control to prepare for IVF, they also suddenly have a change in attraction to their partner and suddenly do not desire their partner when they're on the pill, because again, it messes with your sense of attraction and your pheromones that, that come through your smell. So this is something that you hear about anecdotally all the time. It's happened to me. It's happened to many women I know, but it's interesting because I just was on doing an interview with a reporter from a big publication. And she said, oh, you know, but some of the research, you have to admit, like a lot of it's a little controversial. And I said, well, what? Like what's controversial? I mean, we worked really hard to make sure like everybody who speaks in the movie has like an PhD, an MD, a naturopath, holistic health coach, like really, you know what I mean? These aren't just like wellness influencers or whatever blabbing on. Like these are really accredited people that have all written what we think are very helpful and intelligent books and are leaders in the field. And she said, oh, well, that thing about the pheromones. And I said, well, did you read Dr. Sarah Hill's book? This is your brain on birth control. She exhaustively lists all the research 
that has been done. All these studies that have been done showing how, you know, women see faces differently. And like, there's so many things that change. And the journalist said to me, oh, but one of those studies had like 18 people in it. Come on. So they're very quick. They want to throw this into this kind of, for lack of a better word, this kind of like goop level, like Mm. show science, this kind of trendy vagina steam. There is no clinical evidence book. You know, that's what they would sort of like to do. And I understand that it's shocking information. I really said to the journalists, look, I think there are studies and FYI, it happened to me. So, right. you know, it's like, I don't, and I think if you just keep denying it, you just keep gaslighting women's experiences. Mm-hmm. That's like a big part of the problem. Yeah. And I mean, aside from just the pheromone, other things I put down in my notes that being on hormonal birth control can potentially affect in women is metabolism, libido, bone density, mood, depression is increased risk when you're on birth control is 80% potential increased risk in depression, anxiety, less able to cope with stress, clitoral shrinkage, insomnia, weight gain, nutrient deficiency. So it's like, okay, all right. So, all right, you're not comfortable having the pheromone discussion and that's goopy level. Then what about all these other things? This is just like a small question I had. The clitoral shrinkage, why does that matter? Like I I was like, oh, I didn't know that was possible. And why does that matter to women if that happens? Like, is it lessens our pleasure? Is that what it is? Yeah, it is. It's essentially because of those hormones are not being produced by the ovaries. Well, you have a lot of things that sort of can interfere with libido, right? One of them is more that your testosterone gets sort of bound up by the chemicals in the pill. So you need a certain amount, right, of free-floating testosterone to feel a sex drive. And so for a lot of women, that testosterone gets bound up and they're not able to access it. So that's one one thing. And then, yeah, the clitoral shrinkage is like, I think Dr. Sarah Gottfried was the first one who sort of talked about that. And she talks about it in our masterclass a little bit, but you can have ovarian shrinkage and you can have clitoral shrinkage. So yes, there would be like a reduction in overall like sensitivity and pleasure. But I think one of the things that we get into more in the masterclass, we don't have time to get into in the film is that some of these things don't actually rebalance when you Mm. stop the pill. Sometimes your testosterone levels never come back. Wow. Your clitoris might never sort of regain size, you know, and then people- I might never have known the full potential of my clitoris. Clitoris, exactly. Like I'm envisioning her like just so just bulbous (laughs) and juicy and flowering like a rose and I might never know her that way. That Uh. is so sad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we all three of us lived until for a long time. We all need to mourn the what could have been. We need to. And, and also, I think, you know, hair loss, which is something that Ricky really suffered with. The hair loss thing is so mean because that sort of can happen like when you stop the pill without warning. Exactly. And then your hair starts falling out like crazy. 
Yep. Interesting. Okay. So in the interest of time, I'm going to go to a few listener questions. Every once in a while, when I'm doing one of the Ceremony Circle episodes, I open up to my audience on Instagram if they want to pose some questions. And my audience is known for tossing in some pretty good ones. So we'll go there for a moment. But then I would love to close with offering up. If people listening are like, hold up, this is resonating. This is speaking to my soul. I've been on birth control. Now I'm feeling called like I want to get off, but like what are some potential other options and go end with some solution oriented discussion. Um, But for listener questions, let's see here. I'll pick a couple. Okay. So this is an alignment with what we've been talking about. At Collections by Viv, she asks tips for prepping our body to go off birth control because I've been on it for 10 years. So yeah, are there things that one can do so that they don't maybe potentially experience such uh, hair loss or something like that? Yeah, there really are. And I would say I didn't know. I mean, Ricky didn't know. I'm sure like you didn't know, Allison. We all just like, whatever, stop cold turkey. But there is a really good protocol and there are ways to transition off that can help to sort of minimize, like sometimes people will get like rebound acne, for example, or... Now, well, that was another one of the questions. She said, that's what's delaying her. She's Meg, at Megan Rosak. How can I prevent post-pill acne? It's delaying me from coming off of it. That's mm. right. And that's what keeps so many women on the pill and they try to go off it and they all of a sudden have cystic acne, which they've never had in their life and they don't know what to do. And so they just go back on. There's supplements they can take, right? There's like the- Yeah, there are, exactly. You can start like supplementing a couple months before you go off. So what I recommend, I mean, it's hard to get into like too many detailed things, but we do have this masterclass that we keep referring to. And one of the episodes, I think the episode it's launching this week, episode six, it's a nine episode series that we released is actually called transitioning off the pill. And the entire episode is just people talking about things that you can do, supplements that you can take to manage either the rebound acne or some of the mood. You will probably have like a couple months of like maybe, you know, three to six months of re like kind of acclimating your body to your own hormones, right? And like really getting your cycle back. And so there's so many ways to support it. And I think that there are so many women in the movie from Elisa Vitti to Nicole Jardim to Lisa Hendrickson Jack. I mean, these are all like experts that are featured in the movie and they all have like incredible books and incredible like websites and courses. And then I think our masterclass also really gets into this and the transitioning off the pill is a big one. It really is a big one, but is there the, are things you can do. Okay. Is the masterclass at, is your website business of birth dot life or what was the, what's your website? Yeah. You can go to either just the business of birth control.com or you can go to the business of dot life business of dot life. Okay. Business of dot life or the business of birth control.com either will get you there. We also have our Instagram, which is just at business of birth control, our Instagram and our Facebook. And so like all of those 
will get you there. But I would say the masterclass, which we're in the process of launching. So we should have probably all nine episodes up by the end of September. Something that we started because of these questions that you're getting, Allison, because there's just like too many people that need answers. So the idea is to sign up, you become a member of our masterclass community. We've made it like super, super accessible, affordable. But what you get is you get access to the masterclass. And then we also have like over 35 hours of just like incredible archival information videos. So you can look in the library and you will find a video on transitioning off the pill. We've kind of amassing this library and then we're having sort of monthly events where you can ask our experts anything. So in August, we had an event with Nicole Jardim, who's featured in the film, and it was all about dried urine testing and optimizing your cycle. And so people could come on and talk about that and ask anything. So this is what we're trying to do to like support all of these questions because we recognize that people need a little bit of guidance. Yeah. They're getting it. Because yeah, like I said, when I watched the business of birth control, I was just, I mean, I had to pause it. I was taking notes at the same time and I was literally having to pause the documentary like every 30 seconds or a minute because there was another question that was coming up for me or another light bulb moment because there was so much new information. So I love that you've created the masterclass. And then to kind of close things on the solution-oriented tip, I'd love to touch on the fertility awareness method. And that's something that came into my life recently with Luke and I, you know, Luke's 51, I'm 43. And when we decided to say yes to getting pregnant, we were laughing so much at ourselves because we're both, we've we've both been in the health and wellness industries for eons. I literally was born into it. And I had no idea how to get pregnant. I had no idea that there was like a 48-hour window of fertility. We literally thought that I called it, I call it pudding time. That's probably TMI and getting a little weird. But I was like, (laughs) I thought we could just have pudding time anytime and we would just have sex and get pregnant. And so at 51 and 43, we're like, oh my gosh, there's actually things that we need to know. And so I started to track, take my temperature. I started to learn about like peeing on the fertility strips and everything. And it's just been such a hilarious, enlightening journey. But I love now being more naturally in sync through that fertility awareness method. So whatever might be coming up for either of you to touch on with that being another option or another option that you can present to ladies out there. Yeah. I mean, fertility awareness method, you know, it's like, it's really tricky right now because of the situation with, you know, they're, they're looking at the tracking apps that people use and your data might be breached. And I mean, it's so scary. And let me just say, we started this movie in 2013. So the fact it took like seven years to finish and to get it out there finally. And so the timing of this with what's going on with Roe v. Wade is complicated. If you don't want to get pregnant, you really need to have a barrier method in addition to the fertility awareness method at the time of ovulation and stuff. But the daisy and these, these they're used really both to prevent pregnancy and to know when you're fertile. It's really, it really does it all. I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. I don't know how to answer the question. No, that <laughs> I mean, was good. Yeah. 
That was good. It is tricky. They are looking at apps. So if you're in an illegal state, if you're somebody who is living in a state, I mean, I think you want to be careful about these tracking apps, but you don't need an app to track and do fertility awareness. You literally can do it with a piece of paper or you can do it like with your own private calendar, but it's really an amazing tool. And I think that it helps for family planning, but also really helps, like you were saying, Allison, just to like keep you in sync with your own cycle and understand your own flow, you know? And I think if you are using it for pregnancy prevention, I think it really, you have to figure out, right? What else you're going to use in combination with it, right? So you if you know your fertile days, then you just have to have a plan. Like, are you using condoms on those days? And like, do you have a plan B in your closet just in case the condom breaks or something like that? Like, I think you have to be thoughtful about it. And I also think that it's more successful when both partners are on board. Yeah. You know, and when both partners are like really supportive of like, yes, we don't want one of us to have to like take a drug every day to prevent pregnancy. So we're both doing a little bit of work to prevent that. And I think that there is a non-hormonal, there is a copper IUD. So there is, you know, an IUD that a lot of people really love that does not have hormones. There's another contraceptive that just came on the market called Fexi, which people are using, which is more of an insertable gel. That's like a single use gel that's non-hormonal. Again, I would say everything has a pros and cons. Mm -hmm. So there are people that have side effects from the copper IUD just because it doesn't have hormones. It's still a foreign object in your body. So I think we're at the point where there is no perfect, <laughs> like long acting. In my opinion, vasectomy is my vote for the perfect form of birth control. If you're but at obviously, the- I'm saying in jest because I have grown children and my husband has <laughs> grown children. And so it, but yeah, there is no perfect option and there's pros and cons. There's risk in everything. It just. And at the end of the day, I think it's, again, this is just from my perspective, but what you ladies have created with the documentaries and even in this conversation, it's truly at the foundational heart of it, guiding people back to our own sovereignty and guiding people back to tuning, getting back into attunement with your own personal navigation system, your own internal intuition, all the things that I teach with shamanism, which is why I'm here on planet earth. And so, yeah, it's like, yes, there's a lot of nuances. There's infinite threads to this whole conversation and there's not a one perfect way for everyone. And all of this is meant to guide each person back to their own sovereignty and spiritual navigation system and intuition. So to wrap up, I mean, there's so many things I I, I could of course, keep asking you both. And I wanted to, but I want to respect your time. And so I guess I just love to close with both of you, just whatever feels like it was left unsaid, or if there's something bubbling up that you didn't get to to say so far in the conversation and letting the soul fam joining us know how to best support you both moving forward, because it's such commendable work. And I truly mean it with all of my heart. Like, thank you both so much for saying yes to this calling because so many of us 
us hear a calling and don't heed it, and especially can pivot away from the calling when the going gets tough and um, when there's some confrontational things that happen, but you both have held the line forward. So thank you so, so much. Mm, it's such a pleasure. I mean, honestly, it, I know we're on the right path. I know what we're doing is making a difference one woman at a time. And um, yeah, we're going to continue to do what we do. You know, we're not going to back down. It's like, I, it, this is like my truth. This is what gets me like, I, you know, cause celebrity is such like a shallow superficial, like it's so weird. And I just do feel like I'm using my persona and my voice for something that I believe in so strongly. And again, I don't come at it from telling women what to do. I want them to just have the information to make an informed choice for themselves. And that's the blanket of everything we do, you know, with these documentaries, it's about informed choice, body sovereignty. And I love Abby so much. She's just the best partner, best working relationship I've ever had. Yeah. And we'll just continue to do good work. I think we will continue. I will not lie though. It's definitely been a struggle. Like we said, we did, we don't have a U.S. distributor for this movie, which is like the first time that's ever happened Mm. with any of our documentaries. So like what we really need is people just to watch the movie. (laughs) and spread the word. So Allison, we'll definitely give you like a 50% off code that you can share with your whole community for 50% off streaming. And then if people are interested in learning more and signing up for the masterclass, that's a great way to stay involved and support us. And also we're really happy, Allison, like if you, depending on like what response you get from the podcast, if you want to do an Instagram live in the fall, you know what I mean? And just jump on and like have your listeners like pop up some questions or do some follow-up. We are like more than happy to do that with you or to find an expert from the movie to do that with you, like whatever best serves. It's like, we are really doing this in service. That is our reward. We're not paying the rent with these movies and they're incredibly challenging to raise money and get made and like take years and years and years. So like our reward is like getting the DMs and the messages and the people who are saying, oh my God, this film validated me. Finally, somebody is talking about this or I was able to make a change in my life that because of watching your film, I mean, that's it for us. Like that's that's our shamanism. (laughs) Yeah, add me to the list to being one of those many women. I received education for that entire hour and a half that I was like, I should have received this education 30 years ago. It was just, it was so mind blowing. So thank you both for your generosity of time and energy and wisdom today. It's so appreciated. And I can't wait to meet you both in person. I want to sit in ceremony with you. I want to do it like some sort of shamanic journey. Yeah, I'm very much getting called. I've been listening to Aubrey Marcus and all these people, Blue, and I'm feeling a calling to do that medicine again. So, wow. Well, thank you for expressing that intention. And the intention is heard and received. And I would be so honored. It would be so beautiful and divine to voyage with you anytime. So, please keep me posted. You know where I'm at. And yeah, I would love to do that. So, thank you both so much. And I will link all the information in the show notes and in the Instagram posts so people can find you very easily. And thank you, Soul Fam, for sitting around the fire with us today. Thank
Thank you for sending in your beautiful, heartfelt questions. And we will sit with you again next time. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Allison. Thank you. Woo-wee. What a powerful voyage that was. It is always so fun and such an honor to share space with these beautiful beings willing to generously share their time, wisdom, and energy so we can have the opportunity to enrich our own lives. And we will always share each epic guest's links and contact info in the show notes that are on my website, alisoncharles.com, and also in my weekly Ceremony Circle podcast Instagram posts at I am Allison Charles. So it makes it easy for you to connect more deeply with them. And fam, you know by now all the heart I put into creating this show. And I would love to be able to continue providing this free content for a long, long time to come. And what would be most supportive in me being able to do that is if you have ever felt you've gained anything positive at all from listening to a Ceremony Circle podcast episode, if it's brightened your day, if it's given you clarity or insights you've been waiting for, if you felt a healing shift during one of the closing ceremony practices, anything at all, If you can just stay on whatever platform you're now listening to this show and simply go to the rating and review section and share even one reason why you're grateful for Ceremony Circle Podcast. Sacred reciprocity is a big deal and I deeply appreciate you giving back to me so I can keep creating and providing. Sending you so much love. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, and my intention is not to provide medical advice or diagnosis. You should always consult a health professional before making drastic changes to your diet or lifestyle.